is Bloomberg Surveillance. It's going to be two years where oil prices are going to be half of where they were before the correction, and that's that's a long period of time. When the Chinese currency moves one, two, three percent against the dollar, the world gets in a tizzy. When the U.S. market's done well, EMs have outperformed, and in periods where the global markets have had a weaker year, EMs have underperformed. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning, everyone. Bloomberg Surveillance, Michael McKee and Tom Keen. We welcome you to a five-day work week. No Fed meeting, Fed speakers this week. McKee will provide a dollop of wisdom. Dudley out with headlines. Michael, did he say anything this morning? Nothing different, basically, that mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're looking at slow, steady mm-hmm. rate moves uh, yeah. when the economy demands. It may be a live or dead meeting for the Fed April 27th. What we know is we've got a live surveillance for you through this hour. We need to start with a Forex report. The Forex Brief brought to you by Interactive Brokers, winner of FX Week's 2015 award for the best. Retail Forex trading platform, visit IB at IBKR.com slash Forex. The yen stronger, 108.63. I think it's sort of a big deal. Not 109, not 107, but nevertheless, yen strength, dollar churning fractionally this morning, euro stronger, yen fractionally stronger. Euro yen, take out the dollar, euro yen churning a bit stronger euro, but under 123 shows a relative yen strength over the recent weeks. Sterling 141.93, not moving off Brexit chat. Through the weekend, Swiss franc is a little bit weaker versus the euro. Oil is a foreign exchange item, 38.61 on West Texas Intermediate, down $1.74. David Wilson providing us with, 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 I I got it out, David, three, two, one. David Wilson with Doha perspective. Absolutely. Oil. Yeah, and energy stocks taking a hit, no surprise, uh, given the fact that uh, oil-producing countries met in Doha, the capital of Qatar, over the weekend and could not come to an agreement on limiting supplies. Bear in mind, crude had risen as much as 61% in New York trading from a low on February 11th. Uh, it's lower today, and so are the energy stocks. ExxonMobil down about 1.5%. ConocoPhillips down 3%. Marathon Oil down 6%. Chesapeake Energy uh, down about 8.5% in early trading. Morgan Stanley up 1.5%. The investment bank's first quarter earnings beat analyst average estimate in the Bloomberg survey. Morgan Stanley benefited from cost-cutting and a smaller drop in stock and bond trading revenue than some analysts predicted. Uh, you've got Hasbro shares up 4.5%. The toy maker's first quarter profit exceeded analysts' highest estimate. Revenue also surpassed projections. Hasbro introduced Disney Princess and Frozen dolls in the quarter, which spurred the company's growth. Uh, PepsiCo also out with earnings and early trading. Uh, not much for a move in the stock. First quarter profit beat analyst estimates as price increases in North American sm- snacks. Snack business spurred revenue growth. Uh, we'll have uh, earnings after the close from IBM and Netflix, so they will be stocks to watch throughout the day. A couple of other pieces of news. CNH Industrial up 3.5%. The maker of commercial and farm vehicles was raised to buy from neutral Bank of America Merrill Lynch. And Cvent, the, it's C-V-E-N-T, that's the company name, uh, up 66% the maker of Internet-based event management software for business, agreed to a $1.65 billion takeover by the private equity firm Vista Equity Partners. Was that – I covered that. I mean, to me, it was like a smaller firm taken out by – but 
You know, we, we look at 1.6 billion is small. We do. It's a case, though, uh, this is a company that's involved in cloud computing, and uh, mm-hmm. there are lots of companies that want to expand in the cloud business, okay. and clearly Vista Equity is one of them. Uh, David Wilson with uh, our coverage of the equity uh, markets. Uh, good morning, everyone. Michael McKee and Tom Keene. Um, what's important about speaking with Dan Elpert, Michael McKee, is where you run into him in New York. You run into him with the shadows of the age of oversupply looking down upon you. I was walking lost on Central Park South. It's a high crime area, Mike, in case you didn't know. And there was one D. Alpert, author of The Age of Oversupply, and I thought it was telling folks that I was speaking to Mr. Alpert, um, I think wrapped around two skyscrapers that are being, these ginormous skyscrapers being constructed for people that, Maybe won't be there to take the apartments. Dan, is real estate in your New York City in oversupply? No, I think unquestionably. Uh, you know, you, you saw in the end of last quarter, for the first time, uh, we went into a period of actual declines in Manhattan rents. Yeah. Uh, we've seen slowing in growth, but we actually went into decline. Uh, clearly, the market for luxury housing has slowed dramatically. Uh, and when you really look at the housing market, because we're unusual in the United States, if not the world, in, which we, in, in that we have a very, very divided market, mostly rental and, and uh, about 40% uh, owned um, homes, we, you know, right. you have a lot of those excess homes that are being constructed moving into the rental market, which depress, depresses rents further. If, if you wrote your book today, how would it be different than when you released it two years ago? Well, I think what I would do is spend a lot more time looking uh, at the quality of the jobs that have been created. Uh, you know, we, we talk about creating 14.5 million jobs since the nadir, uh, but when you really look at the numbers, uh, 44% of those 6.3 million jobs are low-wage and low-hour jobs in retail, administrative, waste services, social assistance, right. and hospitality. Not the number one mail I get, but what Mr. Elpert just said there is the theme incoming from people. Well, it, 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 is this a a change, a trend, uh, a stock market-driven uh, thing, Dan? In other words, um, how does it improve? Well, the, the only way it improves ultimately is if businesses in the United States pick up their level of capital investment and actually create the plants and equipment necessary to employ more people in higher-paying jobs. Uh, the, 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 the truth is that none of us want to really come up and, and, uh, and face is that they're very unlikely to do so. In fact, they've got no incentive to do so given the fact that we have this exogenous supply of labor all over the world that's willing to, to, to do the manufacturing uh, cheaply. Um, and, and so why would anybody invest in a new plant or, or new equipment in the United States when they can more easily source Goods abroad, and there are some offsetting factors, but one of the one of the big issues that you know Tom asked me what I would write about today, I'd write about the the massive slowing in some of these emerging markets, particularly China. Um, not only has China's GDP growth slowed, and who knows whether or not those are dependable statistics, but more importantly, China's inflation has grow, has slowed enormously, and that was one of the things that um, I didn't foresee in 2013 when I wrote the book. Uh, was that we would not have we, we would see Chinese inflation fall to levels that you know were in, in the one and a half percent range, uh, which were were typical of the developed world. And if that continues and they don't inflate their economy, they don't inflate their wage base, 
the res- resolution of these of these huge gaps in wages is going to be far off in the future. I, I, I look, Dan, at, at, at oversupply, and buttressing up against that is demand, which obviously can go either way if there's four outcomes to any microeconomic problem. Is part of oversupply a dearth of demand? Well, they're 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 mirror images of each other, and in fact, I, a lot no, of people. Do you really think they are, or is it to your wonderful well, well, book? No, I mean, there's let, too let, much let me, oversupply. Yeah, no, I mean, the, 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 everybody's out there. You know, conventional economists will, will say we have a lack of demand globally, but it's always a lack of demand relative to something, right? It's not that that statistic doesn't doesn't stand there on its own. It's a it's a rel, it's a lack of demand relative to the available supply and the available supply for uh, many goods and many services is almost endless at this point. We have a glut of labor, and I just wrote a, a, a paper for uh, the think tank Third Way uh, called Glut, uh, which basically tra- takes all of the uh, data uh, from my book and updates it. I add some additional uh, stuff that I hadn't considered before, but the, this whole notion of having um, you know this massive glut of labor, productive capacity, and, and capital. And you know, another thing I would not have uh, I wouldn't have been able to write about a couple of years ago is what happened to interest rates. I mean, the Fed stopped buying, uh, and and uh, and the end of QE is long long ago. And yet interest rates are down to levels that we would find co- comparable to the levels of uh, of the highest level of Fed intervention. So clearly it wasn't the Fed intervention that was bringing down um, interest rates. It was the, the glut of global savings. The, as you say, uh, the glut is sort of always omnipresent, but how... Is it, what's the second derivative, the rate of, of growth? Is it slowing down? Are we going to start seeing markets find a way to clear this? Well, we, I mean, yeah, but the, the, big, the bigger cut story, obviously, the only way to clear it is to absorb excess. And right now, globally, we have excess labor. The only thing that you can do domestically to absorb excess labor that's not being put to use in higher-paying manufacturing jobs is actually, you know, intervene on the fiscal side well, and have government step in and start building infrastructure and, and putting well, people back to work. But that, we've not been able to see our way to clear to doing that. Let's come back and talk with that. We'll talk to Dan Albert about uh, uh, the, the view forward. I think there's a lot of indecision coming out of a moldy first quarter and the early part of the second quarter about where we go uh, from here. Dan Alpert with us. I can't say enough. Martin Wolf adored it as well. The age of oversupply. Mr. Alpert will continue with this. Futures negative nine. Now let's check in with Michael Barr and get the latest world and national headlines. Michael. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. World leaders are offering support to Ecuador after a devastating earthquake over the weekend. The death toll from the 7.8 earthquake is now at 272. More than 2,500 others were injured. U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry sent in an email, We stand by the people of Ecuador in this difficult time and are ready to assist in any way we can. Brazilian President Dilma Rousseff is hanging on by a thread after the country's lower House of Congress voted in favor of her impeachment. The Senate will vote on Rousseff's impeachment in the coming weeks. More than 31 survivors of the Boston Marathon bombings, their families and supporters will be taking part today in the annual race. About 30,000 runners from 99 countries will hit the 26.2-mile course. Global News, 24 hours a day. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom? Michael, thanks so much. Michael McKee and Tom Keen, to get your week started, interesting week of international relations with Brazil. 
and with oil. Coming up, uh, we'll speak later with the Council of Foreign Relations, Shannon O'Neill. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Market Driver is brought to you by Celebrity Motor Car Company, the luxury of BMW, the performance of Maserati, the innovation of Lexus. Walk the red carpet and get the status you deserve at the Celebrity Motor Car Company. Visit CelebrityMotorCar.com. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow in the Bloomberg Futures Report, brought to you by Interactive Brokers and CME Group. If you're looking for global futures contracts with low trading costs, look no further. Interactive Brokers is the industry leader. Learn more at interactivebrokers.com slash CME Group. And we do have a, a headline, Crossing the Bloomberg, Confidence Among U.S. Home Builders. Little changed in April, indicating the housing market lacked momentum as the spring selling season got underway. That report, originally set for release at 10 a.m. Wall Street time, obviously released a little bit earlier. U.S. stock index futures, meanwhile, are lower following a weekly advance in equities after talks between the world's largest oil producers ended without a deal on freezing output. S&P E-mini futures down 8.5 points. Dow E-mini futures down 62. NASDAQ E-mini futures down 16. The DAX in Germany is down 3 tenths percent. Ten-year Treasury down 5.30 seconds. The yield 1.77 percent. NYMEX crude oil down 4.2 percent or a dollar. 65 to 38.71 a barrel. Comex gold up seven tenths percent or seven dollars ninety cents at 12.42.50 an ounce. The euro a dollar 13.09. The yen 108.58. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Thank you, Karen. Here are the numbers on the National Association of Home Builders. The housing market index unchanged at 58. Single-family homes fall from 65 to 63, but future sales, uh, the confidence that sales will pick up, picks up to 62 from 61. And there are more buyers out there touring homes, according to the builders, uh, the index at 44 from 43. Apparently, Tom, the National Association of Home Builders accidentally released their own report early on their website. Dan Alpert is with us. Of course, he is at Westwood Capital, managing partner there, uh, the author of um, you know, a, a, a number of articles and, of course, the book on uh, the oversupply of labor in the economy. And we've been talking about uh, how, uh, so how uh, the, where supply is. And I want to get a, a little more uh, granular, uh, Dan, and, and talk about supply in the right industries. We have seen a lot of talk about how we are oversupplied with factory workers we don't need anymore and undersupplied with computer coders. Is that what you find as well? Well, the the argument which is put up by uh, a lot of people, you see it out of Silicon Valley and other places, that uh, somehow we we lack uh, STEM workers, science workers. Uh, and we're not training them, and we need to do better, and so on and so forth. Uh, so that's a really good reason to give uh, H-1B visas and bring in people who, who will work uh, cheaper. I think is is if you haven't been able to figure that out already, from what I've said, I think is a little specious. Um, we we have an enormous number of STEM graduates in this country, and and uh, and they are available, and they just cost more than 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 taking people from foreign countries. So, I, I don't really buy into that. And worse yet, it's a very very tiny portion of overall employment in this country. You know, I'll give you some granular data that I think will knock your socks off. So, here here we are in a 19 trillion dollar economy. 
And I sat down the other day and I said, well, let's look at the half the jobs that have been created since the recession. What are they generating for us in income, at, you know, uh, wages, totally? Mm-hmm. I, I get about $200 billion. Now, if that's not bad enough, because $200 billion, you know, even though that's the bottom half, doesn't really move the needle in a $19 trillion economy. You have to keep in mind that for a lot of those low-wage jobs and low-hour jobs, people are coming into the labor force off of other forms of support, long-term unemployment benefits, sometimes even food stamps and so forth. So there's there's not a true net pickup in, in spending from these jobs, even close to the $200 billion that I'm talking about. So, you know, the, 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 one of the big mysteries when it comes to labor in this country is everybody looks at that job formations number, <clears throat> excuse me, at the beginning of uh, every month when it's released, and, and they scratch their heads. We're forming all these jobs. And how come we're not seeing a pickup in overall economic activity? Uh, and, and the answer is very, very simple. You just look under the hood and look at what those jobs are generating. You know, there was a report out last week as well uh, that I'll just add into this that said that a lot of people who are quitting their jobs and taking other jobs are actually taking lower-paying jobs, which is fascinating to me, but uh, time will tell when that gets researched. I think this is profound. I mean, Mike, we could literally stop weeks of coverage and go back into it. I mean, Elise Gold at the Economic Policy Institute, wage inequality continued its 35-year rise in 2015. What's your policy prescription for that, Mr. Elbert? Well, as, as I said before the break, there's, there's only one rational thing to do, and that is to take this enormous glut. And obviously, I'm not the only one writing about this. Larry Summers, Brad DeLong, people like that have been very, very expressive of this view. Uh, you have you have a glut of global savings. Uh, it's reflected in the markets in very very low interest rates, and clearly that that also erodes uh, the benefit of savings. So it pushes people further out into the risk spectrum where there's a lot of risk and and, and unfortunately not not a huge amount of reward. Um, and so so you you now look at this uh, situation where you have all this cheap money sloshing around. Um, we used to have two ways of using excess capital in this world. One was the private sector, hoping that they would invest. We discussed before the break why they're not. Um, and the other one uh, was the public sector, which is government. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've been through 30 years of basically denigrating the function of government, uh, the function of the collective agent, as economists would put it. Uh, and, and, and truly, the, the cycle of, of, of the virtuous cycle of the flow of capital is broken. You typically yeah. move from savings to investment to employment and then more spending and so on and so forth. But unfortunately, unless that right. uh, investment part happens, you're not going to get there. Uh, Dan Alpert, always, thank you. Uh, the book is The Age of Oversupply. It received beyond kind reviews when it was released. I recommend it for your uh, 79 Degrees in April Beach reading or park reading, whatever it may be, to all of you worldwide. The age of oversupply, I'll try to get that out uh, on social today. Mike, Economic Policy Institute with data. Uh, this is from uh, the current population survey. Upper upper decile wage growth, I'm going to round figure it at 5% annual. It's a little bigger than that over the last five, uh, 15 years in 2015 dollars. And it's about half that or less than half that for the 40th percentile. You know, I'm scientific. I don't want anybody to... 
No, but I don't think anybody would really argue with you. Yeah. With your numbers. I don't see how we can argue with wage growth anywhere. Wage growth is always a good thing, but uh, it is certainly not happening across certain deciles of the American economy. Michael McKee and Tom Keene need to get the markets open. Bloomberg surveillance. We are counting down to the opening bell, brought to you by the Jeep Grand Cherokee, the most awarded SUV ever. The Grand Cherokee continues to raise the bar with its luxurious interior and legendary 4x4 capability. Drive one at your local Jeep dealer today.